Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? I wish I knew, Dave. You wish you knew when? That's a great question. You wish you knew then? You wish you knew now? I wish upon a star? Well, you don't want me to sing, so I'm not going to do that. We, we want to keep our listeners. So I was just thinking, right? I was having conversations with people, and people were saying, I wish I knew back then what I know now and how things would have turned out differently in these various interactions. Well, I tell you, if I knew then what I know now, I'd have been a ladies' man of all ladies' men. Do tell. No, not really. I mean, just kidding myself. But, you know, that's the that's in my brain. Right. 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 Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, would have been approached things differently with more self-confidence. All right. So what are you talking about specifically? Well, I was thinking, you know, I work with a lot of companies on sales and a lot of times people have a lot of fears of either picking up the phone or having conversations. And if, when I first started, if I knew some of these things, I would be much better off than I, since I know them today. All right. So what's the number one, I wish I knew. What do you think is the biggest mistake? You Let me rephrase that. You know, because I actually don't like saying it as a mistake because it's a negative, right? And it was right. um, uh, um, Edison, who, right, with a thousand failures on the light bulb, he, yep. he didn't see them as failures. He learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Exactly. So what's the biggest lesson learned, biggest not way to not do a sale? Do you think from your past when you first started out? They are not rejecting me. They really don't even know me to even think about me that it has nothing to do with me. And I thought it had everything to do with me. So so tell me more about that. Like, do you have a story perhaps of when that first, when it first, when you, when you didn't make a sale and you thought it was you? Oh, yeah. So I was working in between undergrad and grad school. I lived in a hotel in Connecticut, right by the airport, by Hartford, uh, uh, Bradley International Airport. I lived in a hotel. It was the best job ever. I had my own food bill, my own bar tab. You can imagine everything was complimentary, how that went for that summer. You mean everything was on you? Everything, yes, everything was fair game. So, so I wish I knew you then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Compared to now, oh, absolutely, yeah. It was, it was very fun. I can tell you lots of stories about that offline, but very, very fun. I will tell you that. Um, but one thing was, I was the marketing director. I had never taken a marketing class. I had never done anything with marketing, and there was a big launch that the hotel was doing, and I had to make so many cold calls a day to get people to either have a meeting with me or to come uh, to the launch. And I was 
petrified, petrified. And to make it worse, I shared an office with this woman that had aspirations of being the hotel president and she wasn't there. So any time I spoke on the phone, she could critique everything I said. Okay, and so what happened? Oh, I would sweat picking up the phone. <laughs> like it was like it would be something I would I would just have a hard time, and I thought that they didn't want to talk to me, or I wasn't smart enough to be there. I had a lot of what we covered in a previous podcast, known as head trash. All right, so let's role play this for a second. Young Darren is sitting there hand shaking, wishing he was a smoker. You you weren't a smoker back then, right? I've never been a smoker. Right. So wishing you were a smoker so you could light up that cigarette before you made this phone call. I could picture your fingers shaking as you're like, oh my God, I hate this. The 10,000 pound phone, right? Exactly. Now Darren from 2021 materializes next to young Darren. Right. You look at him. What do you say? I would say, first of all, it's not about you. They don't even know who you are. So don't feel that it's rejection because it's really not rejection about you. If it's rejection at all, it's about what you're offering. So that's the first thing. Now, what do you think young Darren, how, how would young Darren receive that? I think it would be, well, they don't want to talk to me. I'm, there's no reason why they would talk to me. So the reason I ask that question is, I mean, I think it's great advice, right? It's great. Put your mind frame, mindset is it's not about you. They don't even know you. But the reality right. is for young salespeople, and not even, I shouldn't even say young, but inexperienced salespeople. Yes. And, and I say that because as you know, I'm, I'm a cold calling machine. I dial yep. for dollars every single day. I actually get energized. It, yep. it, it, is, it is literally the highlight of my Day. I start off that way. And I truly, truly, truly love that. Um, and, and I could talk about why I truly love it if, you, if you're interested, but, but to my point here, that's not what I'm saying is, but for most people, that's not the case. And what's going to go through their mind is, yeah, those are nice words, but I still don't want to pick up the phone. What advice do you have so that they can because you have to experience that, right? So at some point, right? And I, experience, or, or how do how does somebody who doesn't have the right mindset, or have the mindset of it's not me, get that mindset? Well, I think that's a longer conversation, right? Well, we got a half hour, right? Well, that's true. We definitely don't want to spend the whole half hour on this. My God, um, I would say the very first thing. I would say, well, why don't you like to pick up the phone? I would do a diagnostic, right? I don't want to be rejected. They won't want to talk with me. And, and then I would say something like, are you offering something that's a good thing to offer? Yes. Do you think you're going to solve the challenges that that company has with your offering? Yes. And I've said this to my clients. Do you like being selfish? And, no. Right. Well, if you have the cure, you know, we have this thing going on right now throughout the world. If you had the cure 
for that alleviation of whatever that is, right? Would it be selfish of you not to share it with people? So what you're really talking about is a reframe. Absolutely. Not about me. It's about them. That's right. Right. In I, in my head, in my heart, perceive myself as a loving, caring person. So if that's the case, I am demonstrating behavior that's very selfish. When I don't share my soap, my, so I've got the cure and I keep it to myself. That's right. That's a very selfish behavior. Right. And I've had conversations with people about that. And that's like, it hits them right between the eyes. I think that's really great, great advice. Um, and I think this is probably, so going back to my mindset when I'm picking up the phone, right? Please, I want to hear it. Yeah. And for me, it's about action, right? So whenever I get in a place where I um, feel bad about something that's going on, something goes wrong, right? So we can't control what happens to us. We've heard this is a trite saying. This is certainly not wisdom from me. It's just, it's, it is wisdom that's out there, but I didn't, I didn't develop this, right? I wasn't the first to say it. I won't, you know, there's been said millions of times before, right? Things happen. We can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we react. Right. Right. And, and again, those are fine words, but what I know from me is that when I take action, I feel better. Sometimes taking action is just forming a plan, right? Obviously, I need to then act on the plan. That's just step one. Because right. if I if I form the plan, I start to feel good. And then I stop right there, that the feel good goes away. But when I start moving that plan forward, even if I have to adopt and modify it, I continue to feel good because I am at least feel there's a semblance of control. And there is in the sense that I can control my actions. Right. So picking up the phone is an action. Picking up a phone is taking control of my sales destiny. How can I not feel good about that? As long as I am selling a solution to a problem, which goes to your point, right? So these tie together. I have a solution and I am taking action and it truly energizes me. That's brilliant. Well, I don't know that it's brilliant, but it works for me. So, well, and it can work for a lot of our listeners because then it becomes I'm doing something rather than having something do be done to me. Yeah, and it's funny. I rem- now now you're taking me back to my first, well, my first B two B sales job. So my first sales job where I got paid for was selling health club memberships, and you know people oh. walked in the door. So I, I th- there was no marketing cold calling, right? At least by me, the company I worked for. You know, they, they were out handing out flyers. That wasn't part of my job. They drove the traffic to me. And I had what I thought at the time was the easy work, of which is separating them from their money. And I was right. pretty darn good at it at that, at that time, right? right? Um, obviously, they had a need. They walked in the door. They were curious. They wanted to get in better shape. They wanted a workout. They wanted a gym membership. And if I didn't allow them to do that by, by signing them up, I was failing them. And I didn't want to fail them. Mm-hmm. But my first B2B sales job where I actually had to do prospecting, right? I just knew that if I didn't make phone calls, I wasn't going to talk to clients. And if I didn't talk to clients, I wasn't going to make any sales. I had no clue what to say. I, I mean, I truly, I, would, I was selling business phone systems and I would pick up the phone and say, are you moving or do you need a new phone system? No, thank you. Goodbye. 
and it was a it was a pure numbers game. But I but I made the calls. So I I, I think in my mindset it was the same thing. I, in order to be successful, I need to take action. I knew I was selling a good product, and then it was a very simple qualification on the phone. No games, no no nothing. That's a great way to start. Yeah. And I think, you know, success builds success. We know sports psychologists say that all the time. Yep. So, so just start that way. You know, you then, then work on your technique. Good point. Right. But Absolutely. you can't, you can't adjust a, a stationary object that has to be moving before you can do, redirect it. Or to quote Sir Isaac Newton, his law of motion, an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless accompanied by an external net force. Not well, yeah, acted on, not a company, but yeah. Right, acted upon, right. Right. And so therefore, that's what you were doing. Right. First, I started moving. Right. Right. I, I, external force. Just start moving. Don't worry if the direction is wrong. Don't worry if your technique is wrong. Right. As, as a um, very famous company says all the time, just do it. Right. Absolutely. Well, and then... Um, so I used to get, I got a lot of my training from uh, David Sandler. Great, great program. And he said a couple of things. One, you'll never have to wait in line at a pay phone to make a cold call. In other words, there's not a lot of people there that are waiting to make cold calls. Now, obviously that is very, very dated. Some people don't know what a pay phone is. You can Google that. We actually didn't have cell phones. You had to put in money, a coin, 10 cents, 25 cents, depending and you were able to make a phone call. And his thought is, you'll never have to wait in line. There, there'll always be pay phones ready for you whenever you want. And here's the other thing he did, which I thought was really interesting. He used to say to his wife, I am leaving here and do not let me back in the house until 6 p.m. or whatever time it was, no matter how hard I tried to get in. Because he was terrified and he would pound on the door and his wife wouldn't let him in. And the other thing he used to do is he used to park his car in a parking garage and he would leave the house with no money. So the only way he could get his car out of the parking garage was to make a sale. And he would ask for cash up front, even if it was just $10 or whatever it was, to get his car out of the parking garage. And those are some things that he did. You're talking about action. Those are some of the things that he did to get over his phobia. And the biggest thing he did to get over his phobia, he taught people how to cold call. Yeah, that's- And so he did it live. Now that's really interesting, right? Because you think about if you've ever taught anything is you learn more by teaching than anything else in the world, right? Because people are going to yeah. come up with questions that you maybe wasn't a challenge for you, right? Or why does that work? Or how does it? And you got to stop and think and and, and answer those questions. That's that's right. brilliant. And the biggest thing he did was he would dial for dollars in front of the room, so he couldn't get nervous because he was performing on the stage. So he learned it was a role that he played, but he was petrified. You put him in uh, in another environment, he would not, he would, he said, I think the first day it took him a few hours to open the car door. He couldn't get out of his car. He just couldn't even get out. And then if you put him on stage, now he's playing the role and he has to perform. Totally different perspective. 
which I think is another great tip, right? Pretend, be a play actor. That's right. Play act, you're a successful salesperson. That's play right. act that you love cold calling. That's right. right. That's exactly right. So those be one or a couple of things that I wish I knew back in the day that I know now. So to turn it around, I don't suppose you probably, you are skilled in all this stuff anyway. Turn the, the conversation back to you. What do you wish that you knew then that you know now, either in sales or in leadership, however you want to play it? Well, there's so many to choose from because I made so many mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, before I, well, maybe this is the number one thing. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot I could share. But this sort of just popped into my head, which is in spite of those mistakes, you can be successful. Absolutely. Right. That, in fact, in some instances, because of those mistakes, if you take the right mindset. Right. When I started in sales, um, so I was fresh out of the Navy. I shouldn't say fresh out of the Navy, relatively speaking, but you know, I, I started my first business uh, in my last two months in the Navy. So I knew I was getting out. And, you know, I got gotten orders and said, you know, um, as of uh, September 30th, you will no longer be active duty. We came back from deployment. I think it was August. So, you know, I had August and September and Nobody was going to make me do anything for those last two months. They, they, they were really good about that. And I started my first business. But a year and a half later, roughly, um, found myself out of money and needing to get a job. And, and so I got my first job, which started uh, January of 1995, doing B2B sales and telecommunications. And, you know, like I mentioned a minute ago, I, I, we, we had a CRM, a DOS-based uh, contact relationship management software system had a database in there already with all the names. And I just started calling people who had already been contacted historically by the company, but hadn't bought. And nobody taught me anything. I just, I would pick up the phone and I would just say, you know, are you moving or looking for a new phone system? Are you moving? Looking? I mean, that was it. That was it. And, and I had, I don't want to say no problem doing that. I just, I knew I, I was driven to be successful. So I, I, I picked up just like you pick up heavy weights. I made that happen. And it got easier, by the way, with time. That's that I think is 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 another lesson. It gets easier the more you do it like anything else. Absolutely. And I started getting appointments. Mm-hmm. And you would think, okay, appointments are going to lead to sales. Month one, nothing. Month two, nothing. Month three, not only nothing. But at the end of month three, I had the conversation with the boss. Mm. You know the one. I yep. think you're going to do great. Yep. But, but. Right. In this case, it was, but we can't keep afford paying the high salary we're paying you without results. So we need to restructure your comp plan. And I saw the handwriting on the wall. Mm-hmm. Now, my boss, his name, a guy by the name of Ron, he wanted me to be successful. And he went out on one or two calls with me. And, and let me back up by saying when I got hired, he told me he can't train me, not meaning he's not capable, not, not meaning he doesn't want to, but he, he, he could sell, but he didn't know how to teach sales. And, and one of the things I told him during the uh, interview was, don't worry, I will teach myself. Okay. 
Then I listened to all the tapes and everything at the time, but I was still not being successful until mm-hmm. he said to me, you need to make friends with them. He said, you're mm-hmm. going in there and like, you're still in the military and you're like, pop, 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 pop. here's what you need. Here's why. And so what I realized, I didn't realize it right away, but what I've learned over time is it's about the relationship. Mm-hmm. I was in a transactional business. Right. Didn't matter. Right. It's about the relationship. Mm-hmm. you've heard it here before we've said it a million times people buy from people they like and trust and if mm-hmm. you don't create that first you know um you have nothing right yeah and, and i've known countless salespeople. in fact i would say probably 70 percent of the salespeople to 80 percent of the salespeople i've met over the last 30 years of my life all they know how to do is create the relationship. That's right. They don't answer objections well. Nope. They don't have good closing skills. Right. They create the relationship and that's it. That's right. Absolutely. I agree. And so what would you do differently? How would you create that relationship? Well, you know, well again, the same way we've covered this in podcasts. Right. Right. Um, but really ask good questions, ask questions about people, right? Uh, um, listen. And, and, you know, what I developed over time is this attitude of listen. And I, I used to say this, this was something I created and, and I've heard other salespeople and sales trainers talk about this. So I mean, I'm not unique in this sense, but this, I, I didn't hear this from somebody and, 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 and borrow it. This is just something in my mind. I said, I remember saying, I would sit down and say, in the first meeting, I'd say, you know, my, my job I see is really as an educator. I want to ask mm-hmm. you a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. I want to find out what your needs are. And then I want to make sure you understand why I make the recommendations I make and how Great. they're going to help you. Great. And if I do my job right, I know that 90% of the time, you're probably going to end up doing business with me. Hmm. 10% of the time, you're going to make a good decision for you and it's not going to be with me. And that's okay because I'll know you at least got your needs taken care of. Exactly. And it's only when I know somebody made a bad decision and because I know my industry that what they decided to go with isn't going to meet the needs they've outlined with me that I will realize I have failed. Mm-hmm. And I would say that to people. And I think that was, you know, disarming. Very much so. Well, and you covered a lot of things, right? You, uh, you set expectations. So we would say you're managing those ground rules. You're also letting them know you're going to ask some presumptive questions, which is really helpful. You know, we talked about questioning techniques. And I think you laid the groundwork for your opportunity to be very successful. And you also made it not about you. It was about them. And let's be, let's be honest, not many salespeople out there, more so than, than, than back in the day, ever made it about the customer, the client. They always made it about themselves. And you didn't do that. Yeah, well, back then, especially, yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't, we, it wasn't as prevalent. I, I remember I did a, some Dale Carnegie training 
Uh, back mm -hmm. then, Dale Carnegie Sales Advantage, it was called. The, the, I'm sure, yeah. of course, has changed many times over the years. And so, of course, Carnegie is very outward focused, just like Sandler is. Um, and I used to listen to a bunch of Brian Tracy uh, tapes, oh, yeah. tapes, tapes, guys, cassettes. Oh, yeah. Cassettes. You know, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Brian also was very consultative in his approach back then. But those were new techniques at that point, you know. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I just I remember saying if I found myself saying I instead of you. Mm -hmm. Right. So anytime I'd want to ask a question, I would stop and I'd think to myself, how can I ask this question about you or how can I make the statement about you? Right. And, and I knew if I said you more than I. It would work out. That's brilliant. The other thing I was, as I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, so when I just decided I was going to, I just started picking up the phone back then. Right. And you're like, like you said, it's just, it's just doing the work. It's action. Right. And so then years later, I have a company, not the company I have now. And I was doing 10 nights of training for the Padres. And I'm like, what's the best way to maximize this opportunity. And I think I'm really good as a, as a presenter, as a facilitator, as a trainer. So I invited, what's that? Oh, and, and you are, and, and you know, again, it's not mutual back scratching here, but I remember seeing you for the first time at the San Diego chamber, the first time you and I met in person, you know, and you had me on the floor, but more importantly, your, your message. And at this point I had been successful in sales. I had a, some huge successes in sales and your message was just so on point. And, and so easy to consume. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, so I want people to see me, right? And I believe anytime someone sees me speak or present, I get business, right? And so I invited, I left a cold call. And this, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but here was my cold call. Hi, Mary, this is Darren with blah, blah, blah. I'm doing 10 nights of training for the Padres. I know you're probably busy. Um, I know you have no interest. I'm doing these 10 nights. I here, here are the dates. I'll give you a couple of key ones. I'm not going to give you them all unless you want them. Um, if, if you come and you hate it, you could either leave and I'll never know it. Or you can come up and tell me how bad I am because I could learn something from it. If you were to attend and if you want to stick around, I would love to just say thank you. Now, this person had not returned a cold call in 17 years. Okay. Shows up. I do the training walks up to me and said, hi, I'm Mary, I'm VP of HR. And um, I got to tell you, um, your cold call was so different. I had to find out who this person was. And I got to tell you, I'm, well, what are you doing on April 4th or something? I go, it's a great question. I'm kind of curious why you ask. Well, we're gathering together all the theme parks of this very large beer company. Perhaps you know which one I'm talking about. And um, we want you to be the keynote speaker at our conference. So that cold call not only led to working with that one park, I ended up then speaking at their conference and I ended up working with all the theme parks of oh. that. Beer so, sounds like this wasn't a Bush League theme park. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I could just get on my horse and, uh, and, and run with it. Absolutely. That was brilliant, Dave. So that one, but that, that one cold call led to so many opportunities, but it was just me going, I don't know what I'm doing, but they're not going to come and knock on my door and say, 
hey, would you like to speak at our conference that we've got coming up? And it was just through action. So I just, as you were speaking, it reminded me of that going, yeah, that was pretty cool. Great story. So what's another, what's your second biggest, if I knew then? Oh, that's a tough one. The big one, the first, um, I would say, you've heard me say this before, people love to help people. Let them help you. And people are afraid to ask for help because we've been told as children not to ask for help. And I can't tell you how many millions of dollars my clients have received from simply by asking for help. And I think it's just huge. And if you want to be valuable, be vulnerable. Yeah, I think that's, that is huge. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about um, some of my early leadership mistakes Mm -hmm. and had I known then what you just said, I may not have made them. I, 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 Remember in Navy, I was a legal officer, so I'm not a lawyer as, you know, I don't even play one on TV, but in, in commands that um, are small enough or, or are not large enough, I guess is a better way of saying it, subordinate commands, they don't have lawyers, JAG officers um, to advise. So mm-hmm. they, they take line officers like I was at the time and they put us through a month training Right. And our job is to handle the administrative side. Right. So somebody gets written up, they get a report, you know, so it's an HR function there. We assign investigating officers and we make recommendations on dispensation, which can be anything from a a, a reprimand that we would do ourselves to what's called captain's mass in the Navy Article 31 hearings, which is a non-judicial form of punishment. So the the, the military, the commanding officers have the authority to do certain things that it's administrative in nature, not criminal. And then if it warrants, we would recommend courts marshals at various, there's three different levels of courts martial, which then gets the legal system involved. Then we actually get real lawyers involved, et cetera. We had this one particular sailor who you know joined us uh, out of, you know out of boot camp? He went to his technical training, C school, as it uh, or A school, I guess it was at the time. So he gets trained in his rating, his job. Uh, electro, uh, I believe it was in this particular case, he was working on the radar systems, radar technician. And then you know, in typical military fashion, they come out of school, they have all this knowledge, and we put them to work doing something other than that, right? And they haven't paid their dues yet. In fairness, this is not you know, this is not government being screwed up, but you know, we have people in the shop. They know nothing about the way it works in the fleet at this point. So they get introduced to the fleet, usually putting them in some sort of non-technical billet. And in this case, it was what we call first lieutenants. He was a janitor. And he kept screwing up and getting written up and screwing up, and getting written up and screwing up and getting written up. And, and this thing was mushrooming. And at some point, because he had, um, had some anger issues, because he was getting frustrated because he wasn't doing what he, he thought he was brilliant. And he probably was a brilliant guy. But he wasn't mm-hmm. doing what he joined the Navy to do. Right. And he wasn't doing what we asked him to do particularly well, which meant we weren't motivated to put him in the more important job. Of course. Which, by the way, folks, important lesson learned. We used to, we had a saying, bloom where you're planted. Right. I, I actually learned a lesson from this story. And the, and the lesson I had shared with future sailors is if you're doing something you hate, do it brilliantly because the chiefs will know 
oh my God, he doesn't like doing that. And look how good a job he's doing. Imagine how good a job they're going to do when they're doing something they like. Okay. So bloom where you're playing. But that's brilliant. So I digress. Um, in a session with a psychologist who was trying to help him through his anger, he mentioned how upset and angry he was that he thought about killing the skipper and he owned a weapon. Now, there, wow. yeah, there is no expectation of privacy. There is no doctor-patient confidentiality in the military. It, it does, can't exist. Um, right. uh, I won't go into the why. I get this report across my desk. I'm like, can't ignore this one. Right. And a, a long story somewhat shorter is he ended up um, being uh, put in a brig yep. in pretrial confinement in contemplation of a courts martial. He plea bargained out and he ended up getting an other than honorable separation. Um, and, you know, we took him out of that dangerous situation uh, where he obviously wasn't thriving. And it was a huge leadership failure, right? Because we had this guy who wanted to join the Navy, wanted to serve his country. And what I didn't know was how to elicit his help in his own mm. um, rehabilitation. Right. I would scold and chide him and do all those things that we've heard ourselves probably many times. And, right. and it never has a good effect, right? We, you come out of those, if you've ever had your tail chewed off, you know, because you screwed up, you don't come out of there going, I want to do better. Sometimes some people do sometimes only to, I want to show them. Right. 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 But so most I, of the time you just feel beat down. Right. And, and he didn't have the ego to, to, to bounce back. He didn't have that, you know, rebound and go like F them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to do great. Right. Which is what we wanted to come out of it. Right. But if I knew what you just said, I'd have said, you know, help me out. I want to be on your side. I want yeah. you to be a successful sailor. sailor. Yeah. No chief is going to take you in the shop given your background because you can't afford to have this happen in critical systems. How can I help you be successful? Absolutely. And as you know, people support what they help create. Right. Well, but didn't know it at the time. Right. As you know now, right? That would be really helpful. And then the last thing, if I can, you, you probably already mastered this, is the concept, two concepts. One, of okayness. That right. I want to make sure we cover this in a previous podcast, right? I want to make sure that people feel okay around me. And so therefore, no jargon, buzzwords, talking about how smart I am, all that stuff until it's time, right? Then the other one is the concept of adult, adult parent and child. And if people, if I understood that when I was younger, oh my gosh, it would be a completely different world for me that um, my child could come out and how detrimental that could be. And we, I know we did a podcast on this as well. And how, if I can get a customer or even facilitating workshops or trainings to get their child to come out how beneficial that would be. And so understanding that dynamic um, would have been huge when I was first starting out. Yeah, absolutely. That, that one probably has implications across the board. I think about the story I just told. So I went to adult, right? And your adult tape or, or a parent tape, not adult, sorry. I went to parent, right? And your parent tape is really just whatever you heard. So if you were chastised as a 
child by your parent and now you go to parent you're just you, that's you know you hear your you hear your father or your mother or some hybrid coming out right and it's like wow i sound just like my dad you know money doesn't grow on trees right you know and um that may it may not work in most circumstances. And, Good point. And right. in that case, if I may, you came out with critical parent. He gave you back rebellious child. Right. And it wasn't just me, the chiefs, right? No, the whole the system. The yeah. system, right. Yeah, right. I was part of it, absolutely. Right. Um, because again, had I realized that, then I could have, you know, played the adult tape and and been from a much more neutral and caring and outward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you could even kick it up a notch and play the nurturing parent tape, which is, you know, what can we do here? Let's talk about this. I, you know, I hear that a lot in sales. I hear that a lot. I would have done the same thing. That makes sense to me. If I give you nurturing parent, it allows you to be in your natural child. There you go. So I'm learning more every day. I love that. By the way, I love, and I, I, I'm sure our listeners picked up on this, right? The correction you just gave me was done in such a soft way that it didn't feel like I was being corrected. It wasn't a, no, adults really not the right tape, nurturing parent, right? That's a way to have presented that, but instead in a very, very, and, or you could have kicked it up even better, right? What you did was good. This is how you take it to a better notch, right? And, and, and. You corrected me, and I appreciate that, but in a way that allowed me to hear it. Thank you. Are you suggesting I may practice what I preach? Yes. Thank you. I would say the same. Thank you. Well, I, I wish I was as good as you. Um, uh, uh, please. So hold on, folks. Darren is throwing up right now. Um, exactly. Oh, well, I mean, we've covered a couple good, we, we could probably do this all day. You know, what we might want to consider is doing a part two to this, because I think there's a lot of legs that around this topic. And I think there's a lot of benefits that people could derive from it. So maybe we can talk about it and see if it warrants another uh, session. I think that'd be great. Let, let's do that, because we've only I mean, there's so many lessons learned over, you know, 30 year career, uh, you know, between us. Uh, well, I mean, if, if you go back to age seven. Right. But which is when you first started selling and presenting and working with people you know what's that um a lot 40 how many years a lot yeah yeah so um we have we have a lot of years between us and last experience that right we've learned a lot of ways not to do things exactly just like well we're you know thomas says and is a pretty good role model to have absolutely well, this has been another great show, Darren. Um, and we'll, we will definitely do a part two because there's. Much I would love that. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Darren. Take care. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at lockedonleadership.com or darrencecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, 
you failed to disarm them.